Amen. I love that song. I remember just thinking about it, just talking to the teenagers and whatnot. You know, they think that the world has all these things to offer them, but in reality is the world has nothing to offer you. And I think of when, being saved at a young age and people say, oh, well, my testimony isn't as great as yours. And, you know, I wasn't saved out of all this, you know, addictions or whatever it may be, but I'm glad that I missed out on all of that. Praise the Lord. Open your Bible to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. I just love how God organizes everything in the song service, talking about the promises of God and, you know, talking about how great and mighty is our God. The first line of my introduction is God is almighty. So God is almighty. God is all powerful. You're turning to Mark chapter 9. But did you know that you can limit God? That you personally can limit the almighty, all-powerful God. In Psalm 78, it says that they limited the Holy One of Israel. And we're going to learn about how they did that tonight and how we can avoid that in our own lives. If you're in Mark chapter 9 and verse 14, it says that when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, what question ye with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to the disciples, and they should cast him out, and they could not. And he answered him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him, and, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child. And oft times it cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And this is where we're going to focus tonight, these next two verses. And Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible. To him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto, uh, rebuked the foul, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him. And he was one dead insomuch that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was come into the house, his disciples cast him privately. Why could we not cast him out? And he said unto them, this kind came forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the opportunity to preach your word. And God, I pray that now I would stop speaking, that they would hear you. God, I pray that nobody would remember me or who even preached tonight, but they heard from God. And God, that's my heart's desire is that you would use me, God, and that you would hide me and that you would get all the glory. Holy Spirit, I pray that you just give me an unction, God, that you would allow me just to be a messenger and just to be filled with the Spirit. God, I pray you'd subdue my pride and my flesh and that you'd put that all aside. God, I pray you'd help uh, everyone here just to open up their heart. I know they've probably got a thousand things they could think of, a thousand things they could do, but they made church a priority tonight, and I pray that we wouldn't just come to church, but that we would desire to meet with you. And God, I pray this just wouldn't be a time that we could sit here and get through it, but God, that we would strive to hear from you. 
God, I pray you bless each and everyone here for coming to church. I pray you bless those that just can't come, God, with the pandemic that we're going through. And God, I pray you'd help them. And God, I pray you'd keep them safe. But God, I pray you'd bless them now as they're listening on the live stream. God, I thank you for live stream. I thank you for the opportunities we have as a church to reach out. And I pray you'd help us with that. I pray you'd help me tonight again and be with this message. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. A heart of, belie- of unbelief can and will limit God. So if you caught that with he said, the, the man with son who had the spirit, he said, all th- uh, Jesus said, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. You know, this issue of unbelief is a universal issue. Every one of us in this room at one time has struggled with unbelief, whether we admit it or not. Your view and belief of, in God are some of the most important, crucial components to your walk with God. It's any crucial component to any relationship that you have is how much you believe and have confidence and trust in that person. Just a fair warning before we get started tonight, if I seem out of breath, I'm not sick or going to faint. Just when it gets cold out, my asthma really kicks in, so I will be all right, I promise you. All right, so just wanted to get that away. I didn't want anybody to worry. Because, you know, I already started worrying about it. But talking tonight about unbelief. There are different things in our life that may, you know, help us or, or make us struggle to believe in, diff- in, in God. There's different trials that we go through and we think, okay, well, you know, maybe God really doesn't care about me because this happened in my life. Or there's some bills in our lives and I'm becoming an adult, like not just an adult who, you know, who has some bills. Now I'm a, I call myself a real adult now who has a lot of bills. And, you know, there's some bills that's like, man, I don't know how I'm going to pay that. But God always pays it. And we're going to be talking about a lot of that tonight is that we can believe God. Like I said the first time, you know, because God is all powerful. God is awesome. And if you don't know God like I know God, it may be difficult to believe God. So the first part of our message tonight that I want to lay the foundation of unbelief is that unbelief is a sin. There is no way around it. There's no, you know, second guessing yourself. Unbelief is a sin. Turn with me to Hebrews Pastor DeWanna asked me what text, and I said, well, I have no idea. There's a lot of verses. Definitely more of a topical-style message. We're going to be bouncing around Scripture tonight. Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. And if I just start reading before you get there, I do apologize. Hebrews chapter 3 in verse number... You probably beat me now. I skipped the passage four times. Hebrews chapter 3 in verse number... 12 said, take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you with an evil heart of unbelief. Doesn't say a good, doesn't say an acceptable, doesn't say, well, you know, it's okay to have. No, an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Skip to verse number 18. It says, and to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not. This is talking about the Israelites. You can see that in verse 16. But in verse 19 it says, So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Now it's crazy to me to think about the Israelites had issues with believing God. I mean, they literally walked on dry ground through the Red Sea. They saw the walls of water. And I I mean... here, I'm already bringing it up, but I'm a fisherman, and I would have loved to just, you know, walls of water, seeing fish, and I could just like side cast into the giant walls of water, and that would just be amazing to me. And the fact that I could wake up and I could see the Nile River is made into blood, knowing that God did that 
to free my people and to, to see that, you know, God just did all these great things and wonderful things for the people of Israel, and they struggled with unbelief. So I know in my own heart I've struggled with it, and we can all get into a place where we say to ourselves, do I really believe that? And we're going to be talking about a lot of different things, but there's different areas of our life where we can come to a point where we struggle with unbelief. So unbelief is a sin, and it's a serious issue. In Matthew 13, 58, if you turn there, in Matthew 13, 58, Matthew chapter 13 and verse 58, it said, And he did not many works there, and it's talking about Jesus, because of their unbelief. Unbelief limits God. You know, there are so many other more miracles that Jesus could have done in that town if those people would have just believed him. God can do impossible things in your life if you believe him to. There's different things in your life that God wants to do, but you have to believe him to. Believing God is the main part in trusting God and God doing impossible things in your life. So unbelief is a sin. We looked at that in verse Hebrews. God does not take it lightly when you don't believe in him. Now, think about somebody that you love and that you care about, and, and you said, I love you, and they said, I don't believe you. Well, that would be very painful to you. That would be like, okay, why not? Do I have to evaluate something? Well, it's the same way with God. If God says, okay, well, I'm going to provide for you, and then you go ahead and say, well, I don't know if I believe that. Or, or if God says, you know, do this commandment, and you say, well, I, I don't know if I want to do that. That doesn't seem very fun. Well, it, it hurts God. It hinders God. It limits God. When we don't believe in God. You say, Anthony, what do you mean? I'm saved. I believe in God. Well, believing in God is not just for salvation. But the Bible says the devils also believe and tremble. Believing in God is not just for salvation. Believing in God is for sanctification. And if you've uh, heard that word before, we learn it in, I forget what class it is, one of my Bible classes. And, and it's working out your faith. It's living the Christian life. Each and every day being holy and set apart trying to be more like Christ. Believing in God not only brings salvation, but it brings sanctification. Don't just believe God to save you. Believe God to use you. Don't just believe God to save you. Believe God to use you. You know, if God looked down and he saw a rotten sinner like Anthony, and you can ask my wife, I am a rotten sinner. If he saw a rotten sinner like Anthony, he said, Anthony, I want to save you. And I want, you know, God, you know, we know that God reaches out to us before we reach out to him. And the Holy Spirit convicted me, and I knew at the age of 13 at a harvest rally that I needed to get saved and that I, that I was lost and I was sinful. And God saved me that day. Praise the Lord for that. But that doesn't just mean, okay, now I can just do whatever I want. Salvation is not a ticket to heaven. Well, it is. Salvation is not just a ticket to heaven. Let me say it that way. Salvation is God saving you, putting your trust in God, and now you get to live for Christ. Pastor Duana mentioned a young man, well, he mentioned a young girl, but there's also a young man in fourth grade who, who wanted to trust Christ as his Savior this week. And, and praise the Lord, I got to talk to him, and, and Mrs. Umber got to talk to him, and he got saved. And I, talk, I told him, I, I said his name, and I said, you know, you're not just getting saved so, so you can go to heaven. I said, you're getting saved so you can live for Christ. And he knew that, and he said, that's a great thing, and he was excited about it. And I, and I talked to him about knowing that he's saved, and it was a good thing. But, you know, God wants to use you. You say, Anthony, well, I don't know how God could use me, and uh, I'm not young anymore, or, you know, I don't, just can't do what I used to do, or you may be like me and say, I don't have a whole lot of money. How is God going to use me? God doesn't need, you know, energy. God doesn't need money. God doesn't really need anything. He just needs you. 
He just needs you to be used of God and be willing to be used of God, but he needs you to believe in him. That is the only thing, I promise you, that is the only thing limiting God from using you is you believe in God. Because my God can do the impossible, but you have to believe him to do it. Whatever God put on your heart, I believe without a doubt, God has put something on each and every one of your hearts to do as a ministry or as a reaching out to somebody. God wants you to do that, but you have to believe him to give you the power to do that. Say, oh, well, my neighbor's never going to get saved. They're too, you know, whatever it may be, fill in the blank. Or my relative's never going to get saved. Well, God wants to do that, but you have to believe him for it. You say, oh, well, the, you know, do people really get saved anymore? You know, I witnessed it this week that two people got saved, and praise the Lord for that. You know, we're going back out. We're going soul winning, and, you know, the teen, some of the teens are coming with me. And we're, we're handing out flyers. You know, is that really a big deal? Yes, it's a big deal. And, and people really can get saved if we believe God for it. So trust God. Believe God to use you. The sin of unbelief must be confessed. Believe God with your whole heart, and we'll talk about that. So the sin of unbelief, it is a sin. Don't just gloss over it like, oh, well, I just struggle with pride or, you know, I just struggle whatever it may be. And, you know, it's good to know what you struggle with and confess it. But you have to come to the fact that unbelief is a sin. So second off, so the first point, we have the sin of unbelief. And second, we have the signs of unbelief. So, Anthony, how do I know if I don't believe God? I'm saved. I obviously believe God at one point. How do I know if I've gotten to the point where I've stopped believing God to do things in my life? Well, the first thing is that you doubt God's word. We see here in, in Hebrews, it said that they would have an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God. So when you get to a point when you doubt God's word, you have a heart of unbelief. Let me just say this. The Bible is always right. Let me say that again. The Bible is always right. The Bible is, has no errors. It has no contradictions. You know, I just started, I started, I just finished writing my papers for the ordination council, and I had to do a section on scripture, and, you know, it says the Bible is infallible, it's inerrant, and, and it's inspired, and all of the eyes, you know, the Baptists like it nice and alliterated, and, and, you know, so the Bible is a great, wonderful book. You know, the Bible itself says, that, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. So the Bible is right. There is no contradictions in the Bible. Do, don't say you believe the Bible if you're going to live contra contrary to the Bible. We have to believe the Bible. We cannot start doubting God's Word. We talked about it in the panel tonight, to preach the Word. See, the second we start saying, okay, well, you know, I think this verse says that, or I think this and I think that, and you, I, 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 becomes the center of everything, and you get away from the Word, you say, oh, Anthony, I'm not up preaching. That's okay. You're talking to your family and your neighbors and the, the people on your job. Preach the word. They don't need to hear about the football game, and they don't need to hear about, you know, the political arena, whatever it may be, and it seems like an arena nowadays. But they, all they need to hear is the Bible, and they need to hear you preach the word to them. And the Bible's always right. That's the best part. The best part is that you can give them the Bible and without a doubt knowing that it's going to do something. Without, the Bible says it will not return void. So the, the best thing you could do is give somebody a thing of Scripture. They may rip it up and throw it at you, but know for a fact that that, that vehement response showed that it convicted their heart. They said, oh, I don't want any of that. Why? Because they don't want their life to change, or they don't want to be in, uh, in line with the Bible. Why? Because it's a life-changing book. So the Bible's always right. Don't doubt the Bible. The, a heart of unbelief starts with doubting the Bible. Satan will try to cast doubt on God's word. 
In Luke chapter 4, previously in Luke chapter 3, it talks about the baptism of Jesus. When Jesus was baptized, it was a great uh, uh, event in the New Testament. It showed the, the God the Father talking to Jesus, and the Spirit descended like a dove, and all three members of the Trinity are there and all of that. But God says something specific to Jesus. He said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And the crazy thing, if you look in Luke chapter 4, you know, the temptation of Jesus. He's out in the wilderness, and what's the first thing the devil says to him? He says, if... Thou be the Son of God. He says, if thou be the Son of God. So we know for a fact that Jesus is the Son of God. We know that for a fact. He he healed the sick and he raised the dead. He raised himself from the dead. There's no doubt that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus, you know, fulfilled all the prophecies in the Old Testament. I remember reading in, I don't remember where I read it, but I remember reading it, that they said if you filled the entire state of Texas with coins. Now think about this. You fill the entire state of Texas with coins. And then you take a coin and you paint one of them red. And then you throw it in there. You send a random person to close their eyes and pick a coin. Picking the red coin is the chances of one person fulfilling all the prophecies in the Old Testament to be the Messiah. That right there shows me that Jesus is without a doubt the Messiah. That Jesus without a doubt is the Son of God. So when the devil comes along and says, "Uh, if you be the Son of God... No, that's a fact that Jesus is the Son of God. So the devil tries to cast doubt on God's word. We see it in the garden. We see that God said, don't eat of that tree, don't eat of that fruit, because you will surely die. And the devil says, ye shall not surely die. He's like, no, 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 God didn't actually mean that. And a lot of times as Christians, we get to the point where we just don't believe God. Say, Anthony, I didn't think I wasn't believing God. No, the issue is believing God's word. When God says, you know, you have to, you know, whatever it may be, fill in the blank. Obey your parents for the children. You say, or, or talking about, you know, no corrupt communication. Just, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. That's a, that's a good one. With all the w- things that we can see on television, you say, oh, well, I'm just watching the game. How many times do we just watch the game? Or you say, oh, well, I'm just, you know, I'm just watching this show and there's only one bad scene in it. Or they, they only curse a few times. You know, the Bible says I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. And a lot of times, you know, I think of my own self and my own life, it's like, you know what, I just can't watch this anymore. Why? Because we cannot doubt God's word. If the Bible says, set no wicked thing before our eyes, we need to believe God and fulfill it. So the devil will try to get you to doubt God's word. Whatever it is, whether the Bible says, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but the devil is a liar. God's word is always correct. So whatever God's word says, if the, if the devil tries to get you to go against it, do not listen to him. Believing the devil's lies and going against the Bible shows a heart of unbelief. So number one, uh, oh sorry, no, yeah, number two is signs of unbelief. Well, what's the first sign is doubting God's word. The second sign is doubting the promises of Scripture. And I'm just gonna, we're not going to turn to these, we'll just read them. Well, I'll just read him. It says, I, Jesus said, I will never leave the, you nor forsake you. And Matthew well, says, behold, I am with you always. He's talking about Jesus saying he'll never leave us. In Matthew 28, 20, he gives a, the great commission. He says, behold, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So when you come to a place and you're saying to yourself, well, I just feel very alone. And I'm going to be honest, I felt lonely. I'm sure we, if, we, if I ask who here has felt lonely. We've all felt lonely at some point in our life. Whether you're a wife and your husband's working a night shift or, or whether, you know, you're just at home and you're alone or whatever it may be. Maybe you just feel 
lonely. You feel like no one is talking to you. Well, God is always there for you. And if you come to yourself and say, you know what, you know, no, I don't believe that. Well, that's a heart of unbelief because when you get to the point of being, you know, I feel lonely, that's saying, God, I don't believe that you're there. God, I don't believe that you're here with me, so that's why I feel lonely. God is always there with us. That's just one promise, and I don't have time to go through all the promises, but Philippians 4.19 says that God, my God will provide all of your need. I have no doubt whatsoever that God is going to provide my needs. I have no doubt whatsoever that whatever bill comes through that I'm not expecting, God is going to pay for it. I know that without a doubt. Why? Because it says, I will provide for you. And if we don't believe that, if we don't trust in God, then a heart of unbelief will doubt God's promises. Another promise is James 4.8. Uh, it says, draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. God promises to meet with you. So if you came to a point that says, I don't want to meet with God because I don't think he's going to meet with me, you're not believing God. If you say, well, I, I pray and I feel like it's hitting the ceiling, well, you need to believe God. Because God said on the authority of Scripture, draw nigh to me and I'll draw nigh to you. That's very simple. Everybody understands that. If I go towards God, say God's over there. If I go towards God, God's over here. God, God's going to draw nigh to me. It's very simple. All you have to do is, I, I heard one preacher, you know, stick your foot out. God will meet you halfway. And it's true. You start drawing nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. It's a promise of Scripture. God will meet with you. It may not take a few seconds. It may take hours. But God will meet with you if you meet with him. That's a promise of Scripture. And we have to believe that. Jeremiah 33 three says, Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Another promise is God says, I will hear your prayers. If you ever said, I don't feel like God is listening to my prayers, that is a heart of unbelief. And that's a hard thing to say to myself because sometimes I feel like, um, God, did you, did you even hear that? I don't see any response. I don't see any answer. Well, God reminds me of all the times in Scripture that he said, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. You know, the, we, we are in the society that we live in, especially, um, excuse me, at my age, we want everything now, right? I hate waiting. I hate baking things that take two hours. Just don't like it. I'd rather cook something on the stove that takes 20 minutes. Um, I knew I was going to mention it today. I cooked a beautiful steak today. It was a dry age, prime grade ribeye. It's very expensive, but that's okay. But so I cooked it, you know, sear it, sear it, put it in the oven. It was delicious. But why? Because I wanted it now. I wouldn't take a pot roast and, and sit there all day and wait for it because I want everything now. Why? Because that's just the world we live in. We want everything immediate. Well, we have to make sure that that, I forgot where I was going with that for a second. We have to make sure that that doesn't come into our prayer life. You know, God does not say, I will, I will call unto me and I will answer you right away. No, no, it just says, call unto me and I will answer you. It may, he may answer and say, wait. He may answer and say, okay, well, I'm going to give you that later in life. Whatever it may be, we have to know, have to believe God that he hears our prayers. And then lastly, I, didn't, I just added this in here at the end. I just thought about it. God brought it to my mind. I will forgive you. And John 1, 9, and 1 John 1, 9 says, um, see, this is the one verse. I memorize it every time, and I never get it. 1 John 1, 9, every time I try, go to say it while I'm preaching, I forget it instantly. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when you get to a point in your life and you say, uh, God's forgiven me, but I just can't forgive myself, that's not believing God. You may say, oh, well, I have higher standards than God. That's what, really what you're saying when you're saying, God, forgive me, but I can't forgive myself. You have to know 
that you're forgiven. And I've struggled with this in my own life a few times and just dealing with the, a certain sin. I was just like, well, I just really can't forgive myself. It's too terrible. And I heard one preacher say this. Don't ever ask for forgiveness twice. Because if you ask for forgiveness twice, you didn't believe God the first time. Because if you ask for forgiveness and you're truly sorry and you want to change, God will forgive you the first time. The second time you ask for forgiveness, you're saying, God, I didn't believe you the first time, so I'm going to ask for forgiveness again. Now, I understand there's times when you just, you know, God, please forgive me. I'm sorry I did it. And you're pouring your heart out to God. And you may say it multiple times. That's fine. But don't come back the next day and confess the same sin. Because God forgave that sin. It's under the blood. He forgets it. He, he chooses not to remember it anymore. It's not just the fact that you're saved and your sin is gone. No. Every time you sin after you're saved and you confess it, God chooses to forget those sins too. And that's the great, awesome God that we serve. I mean, think about it. You have no relationship on earth greater than your relationship with God. Every person in this room knows somebody that's wronged them. Think of it right now. See, I already thought of one. God doesn't do that. God doesn't think of people who's wronged him because he'd have a list as long as this uh, platform with those things that I've done. God chooses not to remember our sins because know that you're forgiven. Believe God that you're forgiven. We all mess up. I get it, and I'm not here to make you feel good about your sin, and obviously not. We're talking about the sin of unbelief, but the fact is we all sin. Forgive, and God will forget your sin. So confess it, and God will forgive you. I don't remember what point I'm at. Number two, sins of, signs of unbelief. Doubt God's, doubting God's word, doubting the promises in Scripture, and doubting God's plan. If you see the the procession here that everything, when you start doubting and doubting and doubting, that's when you stop stop believing God. So doubting God's plan. You remember the story of Moses when God said, speak to the rock, and he's like, I'll just do it like I used to, and I'll just start smacking it. And the water starts gushing out. That was Moses. That was a very quick paraphrase of that story. But that was Moses trusting his own plan of what God did in the past and staying to it and not trusting God's plan to do the way he said to it. And God punished him for that. You will not follow God's plan for your life if you don't believe God. And I talk to this a lot about the teenagers. You know, God has a plan for your life. You may not know what it is now, or maybe you do know and you're doing it, and that's great. But God has a specific plan for your life. And how crazy is that? That the God of the universe, 7 billion people in the world, and he cares about each and every one of you. And he has a plan for you. And if you don't follow that plan, I promise you, you'll have regrets. And I, I talked about this in Biblical Worldview, which is our, our high school class, and I told them, find a job that you like to do, and you'll never work a day in your life. Now, I told them that, and then I followed that up with, it better be what God wants you to do, or you'll regret every day that you go to work. Now, I, here, I go talking about food. I, I wanted to be a chef. I love being a chef. I love cooking. Haley loves that I love cooking. I cook all the time, and it's great. But I told myself, you know, I would have loved to be a chef, but I knew without a doubt, if I were a chef right now, well, for one, Haley would never see me. If I was an executive chef, they work about 80 hours a week. To really keep a good restaurant running, you work about 80 hours a week. And the fact is that you're, you know, you're just working all day. And I thought about this. I just thought about it right now. You're working all day with food that you can't eat. It's not even yours. You've got to give it away to people, and that would be terrible for me. I just thought about that right now. But, you know, God has a better plan. There's nothing. I, I, again, I'm trying not to be prideful. But driving, walking over here uh, the, you know, this afternoon to just finish studying, I said, there's nothing else in this world I'd rather do than preach. There's nothing else in this world I'd rather do than go and preach God's word. Not because of me. I mean, I said it before, and I truly hope that you know, God will help me believe it, that I don't want anybody to remember me. I want people to hear from God. I want to preach what God has given me. I want God to speak to people through me. 
So God has a better plan for your life. You will think you have a better plan, uh, thinking that you know, but that means you're thinking that you know better than God. If you've been in a position where you took your plan and not God's plan, you know what I'm talking about. God had a better plan. If you take your way of doing things, you'll realize real quick that God's plan was better. So doubting God's plan, doubting the power of prayer. And John 15, 7, we'll turn there. In John 15, 7, it's a promise that, God, uh, that Jesus gave about abiding in him. John 15 is talking about abiding in the vine and relying on Jesus, relying on Christ. In John 15, 7, it says, If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Ye shall ask anything you want as long as it's according to God's will and it'll be done. Do you believe that? That's recorded six times in the book of John. A promise of prayer that you can ask whatever you will and God will give it to you. And not only that, I thought this was the craziest thing and I didn't write it down here. But in 1 John, the same writer, 60 years later, wrote the same thing. He says, uh, I know that I have the petitions that, uh, that you answer, the petitions that I give unto you. So that's 60 years of John's life that he took that promise, he ran with it, and he saw that it was true, and he wrote it again 60 years later. God will answer your prayers. You may not like the answer, but God will answer your prayers, and God will answer every single one of your prayers. Do you believe that? In Ephesians 3, it says you know, that, that God will do abundantly above all that we ask or think. There's so many times in my life where I said, I'm going to quit worrying and start praying. And God takes care of it, and God takes care of it way beyond I could ever even imagine. If we truly believe God for who he really is, we would pray more. And I believe that. And the one, one of the main things that I struggle, and I bet you struggle too, is your prayer life. The main thing that Christians struggle with is their prayer lives. Why? Because the devil knows the most spiritual thing you can do as a Christian is to pray, to get a hold of God. The fact that Jesus prayed more than any of us in this room, and he was the son of God. So we need to pray. Ask, and ye shall receive. That is a promise of God that we need to believe. A prayerless life is a life of unbelief. Praying for the impossible shows strong belief in God. And I'm going to get honest with you tonight. There's a lot of preachers and there's a lot of examples that I've heard. And I heard one um, teenager was at a teen camp and he says, he said to one of the preachers that was there, he said, I like you. You give a lot of examples. And, and it should be true in our lives that we could give examples of times that God showed up and answered impossible prayer. Do you have any stories that you could say, you know what, I prayed about this and God did it. I think of I used to say one, and God convicted me. He said, Anthony, you got to get some new stories. you got to start praying more and asking me to do more and to pray for the impossible so you can stop telling the same story. I said, that's very true, God. I need to start praying about it. But I think of the time that I wanted to go to camp, and I prayed, and I asked. I said, God, I don't have the money. I need $300. And then someone um, sent me money. And I was like, wow, this is weird. And my, even my mom was like, uh you're not cashing that check. I'm asking them why they gave you that. And I was like, what? It was $200. And it turns out it really was for me, and that was great. And then leaving my job that day, the boss handed me a $100 bill. And I was like, well, there you go, God. That's the $300 I needed. And there's a lot of times people in colleges, and they'll say, oh, God paid my school bill. I was like, well, I'm working 40 hours a week to pay my school bill. But there's different things that God will lay on your heart, and you pray about it, and God will do it. And I remember um, a preacher by the name of Mark Hopkins, he just, he got a hold of these promises and his whole church just started praying in the power of God and they saw great and mighty things happen. I said to myself, you know, that could happen here, right here in Ocean County. If we just start believing God and start trusting God to do impossible things. 
You know, we could have four or five services in the Sunday morning because we're too full because too many people are getting a hold of God. Wouldn't that be a great thing? I think about the, the, the anniversary of the church coming up and the revival meeting. You know, God wants to do something. God wants to get a hold of our lives. God wants you to start believing him. It takes prayer. Praying for the impossible shows strong belief in God. So think about it. Are you living a prayer? Uh, are you living a life of unbelief? Are you doubting God's word? Do you doubt the promises in scripture? Doubting God's plan or the power of prayer? And then lastly, under this point, are you living in fear? Say, not scared like I'm scared of spiders. That's not a sin. It's kind of funny sometimes. But living in fear, thinking of talking about anxiety, talking about living in the fact that I don't know what's going to happen next and I can't trust in God. Turn with me in 1 John. 1 John chapter 1. If you're at home on live stream, I better hear the pages. I love it when pastor says that. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18. says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. His fear is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. That whole chapter is talking about love, and it's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible because it literally says God is love. It doesn't say God is loving. It doesn't say God is a loving God. It says God is love. And I, I, I learned this actually uh, teaching biblical worldview and the fact that, did you know that God loved the Trinity and Jesus before he even made the world? Because if he didn't love before the world, he would have been, he would have changed from an unloving God to a loving God. We know that he's unchangeable, so that's not true. That he literally loved Jesus and he loved the Holy Spirit and it was a trinity of love and that's a lot of love. But the outpouring of that love, he created us. We know that God doesn't need us and he didn't create us because he needed us. He created us out of the outflowing of his love. And he needed somebody to share that love with and that's us. God loves us. And where was I going? A perfect fear, there is no, love in, there is no fear in love. So think about this. A perfect relationship with God takes away all fear. And a perfect relationship with God takes away all anxiety. Now, I'm not here to say you'll never struggle with anxiety again. I know when my family was going through the time that we went through with my mom in and out of the hospital, I, I remember telling Haley, I said, anxiety has become my friend. I see him every day, and we fight every day. And it was just, it was almost a joking thing, but in reality it was, I had anxiety every day, and I struggled with it, and I know it kind of ran in our family, and I, there, I know there's different people that may take medicine for it, and some of it helps, and some of them I believe they should take it. But I believe without a doubt that when I was fully trusting in God, that God would take anxiety away. I remember Haley said to me, said, she said, Anthony, anxiety is a lack of trust in God. I was like, Oof. That doesn't help. I have more anxiety now. But, <laughs> but I remember thinking, you know, the day after, after I, you know, got over it, I said, you know, you know you're right. What, whatever we worry about is because we didn't trust God enough to fix that worry. And they say 90% of the things you worry about never come true. And then I thought to you, you know, you said, you know what? Well, some of the things I worried about did come true. And God said, I'll take care of that too. God wants to take care of your worry. God wants to take care of your anxiety. And why? Because he loves you. When you really come to the point and you realize and you truly understand God's love, I promise you it'll take away anxiety. Why? Because somebody who loves you will never hurt you. Somebody who truly loves you has your best interest in mind. And somebody who truly loves you, like Jesus said, would die for you. Jesus did die for you. He said, no greater love 
and then when then he laid down his life for his friends. So when you get to a point that you know Jesus loves you, and you know that he has your best interest in mind, you should never worry about what comes next. You don't ever have to worry about tomorrow because God of the universe who loves you has it covered. You never have to worry about, you know, this bill or that, whatever happens, because the God who loves you is in control of everything. And the fact that the God who is in control of everything, we have the privilege, the privilege to believe in him. And when we don't believe in him, that's when the anxiety starts coming in because, okay, well, now I'm not trusting God for this because, well, does he really love me? Why would this happen? Well, when we come to a point we know God loves us, that's when we can start trusting in him and we can start being relieved of our anxieties. I'll give you another story. I remember one time I used to work, and you probably know this, I say it a lot, I used to work till 1 in my college years, and I would drive home, and I'd usually be half asleep. I got pulled over twice, and, he's, and my eyes were bloodshot because I slept three hours, and you know, he thought I was drinking because I'm swerving in and out of the road, and he's like, where have you been? I was like, work. He's like, where are you going? I was like, school. And he's like, well, maybe you should pull over and sleep. I said, I wish I could, but I don't remember where I was going with that. But I really have no idea where I was going with that. But talking about, and still didn't come back. Let's see if these points will help you. Anxiety and depression shows disbelief in God. There is nothing you should worry about that God hasn't already thought about. It's really not coming back. So there's nothing, let's just keep going. There's nothing you worry about that God hasn't already thought about. Everything you face, God said, oh, I knew that was going to happen. I heard a song that, you know, that God's already there. God's already been there. God's already solved that problem. You just have to believe and trust. Yes, I remembered. All right, so I was coming home from work. And I came home from work, and I'm tired. Obviously, a 10-hour shift, just throwing lumber all day long. And God said, Anthony, I want you to go out in the parking lot and pray. I was like, really? It's 2 o'clock in the morning, and I want to go to bed. But he said, Anthony, I want you to go to the parking lot and pray. And I love praying at night because there's no one around. You can, you know, be crazy, do whatever you want, talk loud, sing loud. So I'm praying. I'm walking around the parking lot. I just did my laps, and this is at the college that I went to church, the church I went to college at. And I'm just talking to God. And, and then I was, I, was, I was like, oh, and God, I was like, God, what, what is happening? You know, because this is when my family is going through the trial. And, and I was just like, God, I don't feel like you love me very much. And, you know, all this going on. And, and I just kept walking and praying. And God showed me some sin in my life. And God said, all right, Anthony, I want you to get down and pray about that and confess. I was like, it's like this parking lot. You want me to kneel? So I was like, okay. So I kneeled. And I was like, okay, Lord, forgive me. And, and then I was like, all right, I get back up. And I'd walk another one. And God would be like, oh, there's another sin, kneel and pray. So I'd get down. And at one point, I was like, God, you got to get me a chair or something. I'm getting tired. And then, believe it or not, there were a couple of stairs over there that I sat on. But I was walking around, and I was praying. I was crying out to God. And I said, God, I don't know if you care about me. My family is going through a trial. And, I, you know, my college bill is here. And I'm working all hours of the night. And now I'm praying at 3 in the morning. And, and God, all of a sudden, this tree fell. I was like, oh, that doesn't mean anything to me. Well, it will in a second. This tree fell, and I heard it in the distance. Calmest night, no rain, no wind, just a tree falling in the distance. And God said to me, God said, Anthony, I knew, I knew that tree fell. I was like, okay, great. Obviously, you're God. He said, no, Anthony, I know everything that happens in this world. He said, Anthony, I know what you're going through, and I want you to know that I love you. And I felt without a doubt that even in the, in the most obscure wilderness in the world that if a tree fell God knew about it 
You know, there's not a, you know, a sparrow that doesn't fall that God doesn't know about. All the hairs on your head are numbered. So I knew without a doubt that God loves his creation. And not only that, more than that is that we're image bearers. That's the word they love to use in the Bob Jones curriculum. Is that we're image bearers. That God created us in him, his image, meaning we're special, meaning he loves us more than anything. And the fact that God said that day, he said, Anthony, I love you and I have your best interest in mind. He said there's some things that people just go through. We talked about enduring tonight. There's some things that you're just going to have to endure as a Christian, and God loves you the whole way. So believe God loves you. I don't care what happens tonight. I don't care what happens later. I don't care what's going on in your life. I do care, but I'm saying that God loves you. Regardless of what you're going through, God loves you, and you can know that without a doubt. And if you don't believe that tonight, I, I beg you, please, just get to a point where you can pray and you can say, God, I want you to show me that you love me. Because we're going to get to a point in a few seconds talking about proving God. God says, prove me now. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Praying, uh, praying for the impossible shows a strong belief in God. Living in fear. Show it. God's love for you heals anxiety, depression, and uh, fear that goes along with that. There's nothing to worry about that God hasn't already thought about. God is in control. You have to believe God. God has your best interest in mind. Sin of unbelief. See, I told you I was going to get out of breath. The sin of unbelief, the signs of unbelief, and then lastly, the solution to unbelief. And I see the first solution is to confess. It is a sin, and sin must be confessed. So if you're here tonight, say, Anthony, you know, that's me. I've struggled with that. I've had times in my life when I didn't believe God like I should. It needs to be confessed tonight. Unbelief is a sin. It must be confessed before God. The solution to any problem is first realizing there is a problem. The Bible says in Proverbs um, 28, 13, to confess and forsake your sin. It's not enough to confess your sin and say, God, I'm sorry, I don't believe you, and then turn around the next day and don't believe God. No, the Bible says it wants you to confess and forsake your sin. So what is forsaking? Whenever I think of forsaking, here's a humorous story for you. This is how I think of forsaking. So I'm out fishing one morning, hallelujah, and we were on vacation. It's when we had the pop-up camper and me and mom were out fishing one morning with like the, the misty lake and she actually took a picture and almost won a contest for that picture. But I remember we were out fishing, as the Petrozellas do, we're not catching much and we always just blame New Jersey. But we're out fishing and then we look to our right. I can remember it clear as day. And we're out fishing and I see, and then over here off to the right is the biggest, scariest dog you've ever seen in your life. Now I'm a dog guy. I love dogs. I mean, I'd have 40 of them if you let me. But this is the biggest muscular dog. I mean, the dog probably worked out five times a week. I mean, it's just scary. Just scary. And, I'm, and I remember, I saw that dog, and I freaked out. There was no going back. And I was like, uh, I don't want to tell you how old I was. I was under 12. And I was like, ah, and I whipped, and there goes the hook right into my mom's hand, and I'm running and, I, and from that time, and, and I'll finish the story before I tell you why I told the story. And I sprinted out of there, and I slammed the door, and we're running. And next day, next day, who doesn't come up to me wagging his tail, ready to hug me, that same dog. So that's a good illustration for a lot of different things. But, but when I think about that, that's what I think of when I think of forsaking, is the fact that with all of my being, I wanted to get away from that dog. And when it comes to unbelief, when it comes to sin, all of your being needs to be running the other direction from your sin. It's not enough to confess your sin. You have to confess it and forsake it. And the Bible says those are the ones 
that have mercy. Repenting is a change of mind and a change of heart that results in a change of action or a change of direction. God doesn't want you to say, I'm sorry, and then keep walking. He wants you to say, God, I'm sorry, forgive me, and then turn around and start doing what's right. And it's the same thing with unbelief. Every sin, that's the same thing with every sin. Confess it and forsake it. And it's the same thing with unbelief. So we cannot get content with just confessing. We must strive to forsake our sin. Literally run away as fast as possible from your sin. And that's where the story comes from. Start believing God now. So this is your solution. Start believing God now. There is never a better day to believe God than today. No more doubts. Start praying. Pray tomorrow morning. Pray tonight. Pray, pray, and then pray again. Pray believing God. Don't just show up and say, God, here I am, and and pray through your list and then walk away. No, get a hold of God. Truly pray and truly believe God. So confess and forsake, and then start believing God now. Pray, pray, pray. I'm going to leave. I always say I'm going to read one last verse, and I look at my notes, and there's like 10 verses left. So one more verse in Matthew 21, verse 22. It says, In all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing, this is Jesus talking, ye shall receive. So sometimes we just say, whatever we ask in prayer, we'll get it. No, no, no. It says, whatever ye ask in prayer, believing, ye shall receive. If you don't believe God, why would he give it to you? Say, God, well, I don't know if you're going to do this, but uh, go ahead and figure all my problems out. No, no, we have to believe God, have a relationship with God, and then he will, we shall receive the prayers that we ask. So start praying, believing. Put God to the test. And this is our last point for tonight. In Romans, I'm not even going to go there. In Malachi 3, it says, prove me now. And I want to give you a little bit of a context there, some of the surrounding verses, because they're great. In Malachi, it's a tough one to find. Malachi chapter 3. I'll get there. It says in verse 6, For I am the Lord, I change not. He's immutable. Therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Even from the days of your fathers ye are gone away from mine ordinances, and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you. So God doing his part, meeting with us, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, wherein shall we return? And it talks about robbing God with your tithes. But look in verse 10. It was said, ye shall bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that ye may meet, um, they be meet in mine house, and prove me now, herewith saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, there shall not be room enough to receive it. So God says, prove me. Just go ahead and start tithing, and I promise you that I'll open up the windows and bless you. And I'm saying to you tonight, if you have a heart of unbelief like we've all had before, just start testing God. Not testing God in a bad way, but start praying and asking God for things. Start believing God with your whole heart, and God will meet you. God will give you the request that you ask. God will never fail you. There's a great song that we heard at one of the youth rallies we went to that that Jesus never fails. He never fails. Nothing God has ever done has ever been to my wrong. God never fails me. So, So our solution to unbelief is to confess, confess and forsake, start believing God, and put God to the test. Prove God. So where are you tonight? Where are you not believing God? What area of your life have you said, God, I've got this one figured out? Is it maybe that God's called you to do some things in this church that you've seen and want to improve? Or some ministry that you want to take part of? Or some soul winning that you want to do? Or some, you know, impossible thing that you want to see done? Believe God for it. Are there signs of unbelief in your heart or in your life? Have you doubted God's word? 
All the promises of God. There's so many. Have you doubted any of them? Have you lacked prayer in your life? I know I have. It's because we don't believe God enough to answer our prayers. Do we lack trust in God's plan? Or are you living in fear? Unbelief is a serious sin with a severe consequence. Confess your sin of unbelief today. Start trusting God. Start trusting God for who he really is, the greatest God of all time, the only real, alive God, immutable, unchangeable. I can name them all because I just wrote them all down in my papers. He's all-powerful, all-knowing. He's holy. He's loving. He's just. He's immutable. He's love, and he is righteous. God is almighty. God is great. God is awesome, and God can take care of you. You just have to believe him. We get to believe God. Think about that. And I'm closing. This is the end here. We get to believe God. We don't have to. It's not a chore to believe in the almighty God of creation who loves you. You get to believe in him. I think of my wonderful relationship with my life, my wife, my life. I get to believe my wife when she says that she loves me. It's, a, it's my privilege to have a loving relationship with my wife. It is a privilege to tell God that I love him and that I believe in him and I want to serve him. So we're going to do something a little different, not too different. So get a pen out. If you're not taking notes, you can put a note in your phone, or if you just want to think of it, it's fine. But everybody just get a pen, get something to write on, get something to type on, or if you have a good memory, get something to think about. So just write an area of your life where you have unbelief toward God. Or write something down or a situation that you need to confess to God where you just didn't believe him. And I'm going to do the same. So I hope you wrote something. If you didn't, I hope you typed it out. If you're on live stream, I'm sure you can get a pen and a paper. So just write something down that you need to start believing God for. Maybe there's a situation in your life that's impossible that you need to start believing God for. There's a family member who's not saved. I know I wrote down unsaved teenager. Now, I'm not going to say his name, but I know of somebody, a teenager that I've talked to, that I've you know, been influencing, and I've had the opportunity to minister to, that I don't think is saved. That at the harvest rally, I, I, I was able to, you know, see him raise his hand for salvation. And he, don't, don't start thinking who it is. It doesn't go to church here, but I know of him. And, and, and he's not saved. I, I, I'm going to strive my best to pray for him. And I remember when we had the bus ministry, and I'm excited to uh, some, sometime soon, hopefully, to get that started again and bringing the kids to church. But I remember there was a one kid, and uh, her name was Kaylin, and I prayed for her night and day. I even fasted for her. I, God was just burdened, burdened my heart for Kaylin to get saved. And one day she came up to me. She said, Anthony, I got saved. And I, was, I, I tried to not cry in front of her. I was so excited that she got saved. You know, there's people in your life that God will save if we start believing God for that. So maybe that's what you wrote down as an unsaved family member. Or maybe you wrote down, you know, God, I want to I believe you to do this great work in my life. I want to believe you and you know, just be honest with you. I want to believe you to, you know, grow the church, grow the youth group. I'm done trying to do it myself, my own ways. I'm done trying to think of a new thing that'll just bring people. No, I'm just going to trust God. I'm going to pray, but, you know, without, I mean, there's prayer, but then there's action. You know, believe God and then go out and do what God tells you to do. So let's all stand. I'll close in prayer. Uh, Daniel, if you go to the piano and start playing something, whatever we have picked out for tonight. So let's bow our heads and pray. Dear God, I thank you for today. God, I pray that you would just, Help us with our heart of unbelief. 
God, I pray that you would help me to believe you more in all of these things that you've put on my heart. God, I pray that you just continue just to bless us. I pray you bless this invitation. I pray that you'd move in it. I pray you do a great work. Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Whatever you wrote about tonight, I encourage you, come to the altar right now. Come to the altar right now and pray about it. Believe God for it. If you feel more comfortable, just sit or kneel where you are, that's fine too. But pray and ask God. You know, God, I'm done not believing you. I'm done doubting you. I want to believe you and I want to fully trust in you to do the impossible. God, I'm going to believe you to save that family member. God, I'm going to believe you to grow this ministry, to grow this church. I'm going to believe you, God, to take away my anxiety. Whatever you wrote down, I encourage you, come tonight and pray about it. Ask God. Believe God. God is awesome. God can help you. Let's take a moment to pray. Sing the first verse only of my Jesus, I love thee. And let's sing it as a prayer unto the Lord. Let's just think of the words as we sing this this evening. My Jesus, I love Thee, I know Thou art mine. For Thee all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Lord, thank you so much, Lord, that we have the privilege, Lord, of loving you, that we can sing that as a sincere prayer from our heart. And Lord, as we heard this evening, we just want to, Lord, just commit those things which we've uh, given to you, Lord, things and areas in our life where unbelief is a struggle, and, and Lord, we all have them. But Lord, we want, we want to change. Lord, we want to Leave those, those sins of unbelief behind us, Lord. And we want to press forward in the power and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, help us this evening to leave here forgiven of those sins, changed, renewed, and, Lord, desire us to walk in the spirit of belief and faith, trusting you for all things. And, Lord, we know this is, as we leave here, there's a world out there that would desire, Lord, to rob us of that joy. But Lord, may we always remember that when those times come, we can sing that hymn, My Jesus, I love thee. And so Lord, help us to walk in the Spirit, to live with a joyful heart, and to trust you by faith. Lord, we pray that you bless us now as we're dismissed. Lord, take us home safely. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless